Hello and welcome to the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast, your source for all things non-clinical dentistry, health, finance, mindset, self-improvement, self-non-improvement. I don't know anything about anything, but I bring on experts that do. I had Kelly Hansen on, who's a registered dietitian, and we talked a lot about what dieting is, what dieting's not. And she talked about a concept called body neutrality, which I've never heard of. And it's basically you're in between body positivity and body negativity. Very interesting topics, conversation. She's only in her 20s and she's wise beyond her years. Kelly, thank you so much for the great interviews. Guys, you're gonna love it and I'll talk to you guys soon. Do you feel stuck on the financial hamster wheel? You keep paying on your debts like mortgages, car notes, student and business loans, but they never seem to disappear. My name is Dr. Howard Polanski, former dentist, now founder of Cashflow Coach USA. I guide families and business owners through a simple system to dramatically reduce your payment towards debt. You keep your same lifestyle and keep more money each month. A recent client will pay off their house in just seven months instead of the anticipated 20 years. Free 10-minute discovery call will determine if I can help you too. Go to CashflowCoachUSA.com, scan the QR code, or call 512-608-1020 to find financial freedom faster. Are you tired of using ineffective cosmetics and personal care products filled with harmful chemicals? Meet Ancestral Cosmetics and our range of highly effective products rooted in ancestral wisdom and made with edible ingredients such as beef tallow, olive oil, and raw local honey. Check out our best-selling tallow and honey balm for soft and smooth skin or our revolutionary tooth powder made from eggshells for effective teeth cleaning and whitening without any toxic ingredients. Free US shipping for orders over $50 and you can shop now at ancestralcosmetics.com. So we have Kelly Hansen, registered dietitian, superstar. I love your Instagram, by the way. It's very motivating. Um, I love what you're doing. So I got to start with a question. Why health and nutrition? Why do you give a shit about people's health? So I started out as an athlete my whole life, played three sports, softball, basketball, tennis. Then I did softball and basketball in college at D3 levels, so small school. But so it started with like fitness, sports, all of that. I was an exercise science major to start with and kind of like started thinking, okay, what am I actually going to do as a job? So I, I did some job shadowing, shadowed some dietitians. I was like, okay, there's a lot of options with nutrition. Um, started studying nutrition more and the environment, human physiology, women's health issues, all of the menstrual cycle, all of those things. And I was just like, okay, I love nutrition. There's so much you can do with it. So I ended up adding on dietetics as, as a major, which just took a little extra time, little online classes, but so yeah, here I am now. So you, have an, RD, you have an RD, um, but is your focus on, cause I know your Instagram says PCOS, is it mainly women's health that you're mm-hmm. focusing on? Um, so I started as a personal trainer while I was like finishing my schooling to be a dietitian. Um, so I've worked with men and women and I just personally have experienced a lot of symptoms of PCOS. So I, I do love to post about that and share about that. But right now in my business, I have men and women and, um, 
I plan to continue that, but I do want to focus more so on like PCOS and hormones and functional lab testing for that, um, specifically like vitamins and minerals, because that really impacts everyone, but especially PCOS. So, so yeah, I just, I don't really want to lock myself into one thing yet, but that is a big interest of mine. What is PCOS? Polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it's a hormonal condition. The researchers think 10 to 20% of women have, um, it's a, like, it's, it's a very spectrum of, of symptoms. There's different ways it presents in different people. Um, a lot of it has to do with insulin and carbohydrate metabolism, which is also just a very common issue among all humans right now. Um, so that's one reason why it interests me is because it's not just, you know, it's not so easy to diagnose. And I think a lot of people maybe have symptoms of it, but they don't actually have it. And so it just connects to a lot of people. So what, connects to fertility. what's the tie between insulin, carbohydrate metabolism, and PCOS? Is it a metabolic disease? Yeah. I mean, it's, it has to do with genetic factors too, but typically at least probably, and I have to look up this stat again, but like 40 to 60% of people with diagnosed PCOS have insulin resistance, meaning their cells are not responding well to insulin. And that can be people who are any body size really. So, um, yeah, in my own experience, I was, like I said, an athlete and the way I was eating led up to my body having a lot of I a lot of hormone issues in college where I like wasn't getting a cycle I was having acne some very common symptoms of PCOS but since researching more of okay I need to not eat so many high glycemic carbs and eat more proteins replenish vitamins and minerals a lot of that has resolved um and so I think that's what I try to get across to a lot of my clients is it's like, it's not necessarily the most important that you even get this PCOS diagnosis. Let's work on all of these other factors that regulate your blood sugar, your insulin, your stressors in the body, and it may resolve. You might, you might not even have to go the medication route. So even at your most fittest stakes, I'm assuming in college, you were very in good shape. You still had signs and symptoms of insulin resistance. Yeah, that was when I was having the worst symptoms was probably when I was in the best shape. And there's also a lot of research on how the sympathetic nervous system, so like the higher stress side impacts women's hormones, but also PCOS. Like there may be, you know, it, I might just have a more sensitive nervous system. I don't know. But I think also just college in general, it's like you're eating not such great quality food always. You're not sleeping the best. You're just you're overworking your body really. So I think that was part of it, but I just didn't know what to be eating at the time. What were you? I thought I was eating healthy. What were you eating, I was eating that you thought was healthy? Yeah, yeah. I was eating a lot more plant-based than I do now. A lot of, um, a lot of fruit and vegetable, which is great, but I was overall high carb and probably not even enough calories. Like I didn't really track. I've never been a huge tracker of calories and macros. But I still have done it at times to kind of see where I'm at. And now I just like, no, really just looking at a meal kind of can <laughs> dietitian brain, I guess I can just kind of know if I'm getting enough throughout the day. But yeah, I 
didn't eat a lot of meat. I didn't really like the meat that we had on my college campus. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna trash talk them, but it was like a small school where you had to have a meal plan. Um, so I did some cooking of my own, but a lot of it was the campus food. So a lot of sugar, a lot of carb, <laughs> not a lot of good fatty acids and proteins. Well, it's good to know because so. even you heard the phrase, you can't outrun a bad diet. And you were a college athlete, so you were in the top like zero one percent and you still couldn't outrun the high glycemic food you're eating. So are carbs bad? Do you avoid carbs now? No, I hate using the words bad and good around food. Okay. So we don't do that. But yes, we need to be intentional and aware about carbohydrates. And there, of course, are other factors too that impact insulin. It's a very complex thing, something I've been studying for over five years and I'm still learning new things about, you know, the vitamins and minerals and all of those biochemistry pathways. But, um, but yeah, I mean, everybody needs carbs. Endurance athletes, people who work out a lot, especially need carbs. Um, so, understanding which ones have more fiber. That's a good place to start. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of really does depend on the in individual. And I always like to start where somebody is currently at and then kind of work from there. But yeah, no, we don't want to eliminate carbs. We just want to make sure our body's processing them well. So You're much more delicate than I am because I'm a dentist. So for me, like carbs cause dental disease, so don't eat them. So I guess I'm more interested in what, right. Why won't you say foods are good or bad? What does that do to our psyche if we label foods good and bad? Yeah. So another interest of mine is intuitive eating. Have you heard of this term? I, I know what intuition is, but I don't know. I haven't heard of intuitive eating before. Yes. So I had, a, I had an amazing professor in college who taught a class on intuitive eating and body image and kind of the history around that. And essentially, I mean, intuitive eating, the idea is to listen to your body's needs and eat foods that both make you feel good, but also that you are craving, that you enjoy. And so I still, to an extent, do teach people about this, but I also am very like, okay, but we still need to understand calories and macros, of course, and um, why our body is hungry and why it's not hungry. Um, so... Um, I just have found in my own life and with clients that like when we tell ourselves we can't do something or we shouldn't do something, we want it more. And there's, you know, a lot of evidence about the psychology of that. So I do want people to be intentional about like how are they thinking about food? And like if you, you know, say you're going to eliminate sugar forever, that's just a little bit harsh. And then it's not really necessary. We can still work on blood sugar management building muscle so your body uses all that sugar we don't have to necessarily eliminate all carbs and sugar i know i'm not there yet <laughs> and yeah so i don't like the all or nothing mindsets and strict strict terms which i think a lot of dietitians are that's kind of what we learn a lot about is how to like share this scientific information with people but also how to actually like get them to really do it and not, you know, not be the food police and um, not just give them information. So how are you helping your clients follow through? Because as a dentist, my job is like, brush your teeth, floss, yeah. don't eat sugar, I'll see you in six months. And nobody, fo nobody yeah. follows those rules. 
I can't imagine anyone's yeah. following your rules because my intuition says to eat ice cream because it makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that is the challenge of my job. And what I'm doing with my, my own business is having a, you know, a set program where I work with people for three months at a time. I've done the whole, like, you can order one session. You can do one session at a time with me, but then it's like, what you're saying is like, okay, we talk about this stuff. Good luck. <laughs> so by working with someone for approximately three months, sometimes longer, like, it's working through all that mindset stuff as well as taking the time to implement one change at a time, one small change at a time. Um, I mean, I can develop a, an on, I have an online course. I have guidebooks. I have, you know, I can have all this information for people, but the reality is a lot of people are busy and for them to even reach out to me and start working for me with me, like they're not going to sit and read all this stuff right away. <laughs> They might not even care. So it's like figuring out, yeah, how are we going to actually make these changes and not self-sabotage? So out of your clients, what's the most common first step you guys take? See, I come to you, I'm 36, I'm 40, po 40 mm. pounds overweight and I have achy joints. What's the first step? <laughs> well, I mean, it definitely does depend on the person, but like most people need to eat more protein and they need to eat, spread their protein out throughout the day. So that's a really good one I, I usually start with is, okay, how much protein do you need? Let's divide that into three to four times you're going to eat. And that's going to help regulate blood sugar, regulate appetite. If you're exercising, it's going to help you build muscle. So um, that there, and then just doing a little bit of food tracking for a lot of people is helpful to kind of build some self-awareness and just talk about what is carb, fat, protein. Um, but there are definitely people who they've already tried all that. They've done all that. So then there's lab testing and there's other things that we could start with to get some more information. I don't know how familiar you are, you are with like functional lab testing. And yeah, let's get into it. Cause I would rather stick a pencil in my eyeball than do food tracking. So what are some lab <laughs> testing that I could do? So for people like that, I do just have them send me photos of, of their meals. And then I, oh. at least I need the I need the information. I have a flexible tracking and a more intensive tracking system. Like, cause yeah, weighing out your food, measuring it takes time and it can be helpful, but there's also just ways I simplify that for people. And I'm like, okay, this is approximately what 30 grams of protein looks like. Like, so it's not as bad as you might think. <laughs> Are people even, so how many people send you a picture of their plate and then don't send you a picture of the second plate? they've eaten <laughs> I, don't I don't know i i've had you know some people are great with tracking and it really keeps them accountable and they will show me everything that they've eaten you know some people they forget they don't want to do it you know it's i try to really work with people and figure out what's going to be best for them but it does help me to have that data so then i can make adjustments accordingly but so tell me more about yeah. these functional lab tests because so many people are struggling with all health diseases and then you hear like, just, just mm -hmm. eat a paleo diet and then they eat a paleo diet and they're so struggling. So where do these lab tests yeah. come in? Yeah, so I call them functional lab tests because I mean, the idea of functional medicine is to take a root cause approach to an individual rather than how our conventional system is 
you know, they're, they're taking more of a broad approach to each like body system and using more medications, right? They don't really use vitamins and minerals. There's really no, no money in that <laughs> so much. They test a little bit, but so there's tons of tests out there. If you are a practitioner, you can go online and you can look at, you know, all of these tests. Once you have a medical license, you can order most of these, um, which dietitians do get a license. So, um, so I guess the ones, let's just maybe start with the ones that I use because again, there's so many out there. So I use vitamin and mineral testing and then I look at insulin is something I look at. Omega-3s, omega-6, the fatty acid ratio. Um, and then sometimes food sensitivity, sometimes thyroid. Um, those are kind of the main ones that I use right now. There's others out there, like I said, but, but vitamins and minerals are you know, they fuel everything in the body. So rather than look at your hormones first, I like to look upstream at the vitamins and minerals because that's what's going to actually impact your hormones as well as lifestyle. So um, I preferably would test on everybody their vitamins and minerals that are in the serum and in the cell because that can tell us different things. Typically, like your doctor, if you tested a B12, it's going to be just your blood value, which sometimes that's not getting into the cell. So there's different things that that can tell us um, and that that costs a little bit more, but um, it gives us really good information. So, so yeah, there's a lot of options, but I like to start with a smaller package if somebody wants to, or we can do, you know, everything costs a little bit more, but um, yeah. What are some of the most common vitamin or mineral deficiencies that you see? Hmm. Great question. So iron is like one of the most common deficiencies in, especially in adolescence. And so, I mean, athletes too, that's a common one. Um, and you do want to look at like other like ferritin, hemoglobin too, but that's the most common like nutrient deficiency worldwide, um, is iron. And I mean, vitamin D and vitamin A are really important to look at. Um, I don't know if you're into like beef liver and those things. I've, I've like, I've bought it consistently over the past 10 years and eaten it inconsistently because yeah. I'm a piece of shit, but I've, I wasted so much beef liver in my life. What have you learned about, about it? Like, the, you know, the reasons to have it in your diet. All the fat soluble vitamins that are in there, A, D, E, and K, um, yeah. high in B12. I just... I can't cook it. I can't get my wife to cook it a good way. It tastes like dog poop. So if I, why don't you just buy the supplements? I, I do that, then, I, then I, I forget to take it. I do actually the supplements yeah. are in my fridge at home. I've never bought it and actually cooked it. I do want to eventually do that, but I just use the supplements. Yeah. So why are you taking them? What vitamins in there do you take it for? Well, just for mainly vitamin A, the retinol form okay. of vitamin A, which is really hard to get in a lot of foods besides like eggs and dairy. But um, yeah, a lot of people with hormone issues need that, especially, um, we all need it, but, um, and that can help regulate iron too. Um, the vitamins, like you said, especially like for a lot of people I work with have lower appetite. Would you, you know, sometimes may not think if people are trying to lose weight, you think maybe they're eating too yeah. much. A lot of people, especially women, are struggling with slower metabolism, low appetite, a lot of it related to stress. But so I'm not just going to tell them, you know, 
eat all this meat and steak, like yes, eat some, but it still might not be meeting their vitamin needs. So beef liver is a good thing to just add in. But um, what was your question originally? No. The common nutritional deficiencies, but I do have to bring up real yeah. quick. I've never in my life had low appetite. I didn't even know that was a thing that people could have low appetite. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. That's just where like nutrition is so individualized. And I don't, you know, I don't like to say, okay, this only happens in women, but I, I feel like it's more common in women to see that low appetite. Um, I mean, sometimes medications can cause this psychiatric medications, different things. Um, but also just like stress can sometimes increase our appetite, but sometimes can decrease it. So yeah, that's, especially in the morning, a lot of people who don't eat breakfast, it's because they think they're not hungry and they aren't, but it, it does just take time. You have to build up your, really like your metabolism too, to get that appetite. So have you always been into fitness and like working I mean, out? I, I mean, you can't tell. No, I, um, in high school, I played sports. I exercise <laughs> now, but just, I think I, I grew up Italian and like you, you eat food when you're sad or you eat food when you're happy or eat food to celebrate that food has been yeah. a vital component of my life, my entire life. I've, like you're, you're shamed in my family if you don't eat a lot. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's, so I, I grew up with a, I'd say a pretty healthy relationship around food in my family. Like my parents weren't dieting all the time, you know, like food was a, a happy thing. Um, and it's kind of like it's just kind of weird for me now to think of it. Cause like I was always thin genetically, but I will also just been very active. But I, I just like remember in high school, I started kind of just like restricting my food for no reason. Like I didn't know why I didn't, you know, like I was thin already, but I just remember like trying to cut out sugars. Like I didn't eat cheese anymore. I would like try to eat less protein, which was so dumb because I was an athlete. And so like, that alone just like started my appetite went down from that i think it just suppresses different hormones and things like i can't even explain that whole mechanism but i remember you know just not really feeling hungry or full like it just was a numbed sensation and that kind of like stopped in college but i still think like just whenever you've gone through some of that like whether it's body image or you're just not eating because you're busy or you're doing a really low calorie diet, it can cause some issues with appetite. And then sometimes it comes back more than it should. It's weird. Where did you even get the, cause you were probably a teenager. Where did you even get the idea that dieting was a thing? I didn't even know dieting was a thing until like I was in dental school. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just we were your friends dieting. Did you like were you you obviously weren't insecure well, if you were thin? Not really. I think I just like wanted to be thinner. Like girls just always want to be smaller and thinner. Mm -hmm. And like I've always had like muscle somewhat. Like I'm still pretty small. But like I just yeah, I just was scared of like getting too big, I think. Which then in college that kind of stopped where like I actually wanted to start putting on some muscle but it was tough because I was doing and basketball you're just doing so much running it, it really is kind of tough to put on muscle when you're doing a lot of cardio <laughs> it can be done but yeah so I have four so yeah I didn't know that started <laughs> I have four daughters at home and I'm always concerned about their future 
how do you help mm-hmm. your clients with body image? Because I know per- people personally that have bulimia and anorexia. How do you help your clients with that? Mm-hmm. One idea I always like to bring up is the idea of body neutrality. Like we don't have to be so body positive. I love my body every day. We don't want to be negative and hating our body either. So like just thinking of more of a neutral stance of like, I have a body. It helps me do things every day. I have to respect it. It does not, you know, it's not my worth. And that's hard because on the same end, I want people to feel confident in their body and I want them to want to build muscle. And, you know, if they want to lose weight, that's okay. But it just has to be more of a neutral thing of like, this is not everything. Because I definitely had to take that stance too. And I had really bad acne in college. That was not fun. (laughs) Your face is very important. Like you don't want it to be covered in acne in college, especially when you're like dating people, you know, like, so I really had to then too just realize like, okay, people like me for me, not for my appearance, hopefully, or they're not the people I want to be with. Like, so it's hard though. People in our society want to look a certain way and it's finding that balance. Well, I think now than ever, it's like, it's like really weird now. Like there's extreme super body positivity where like if you're 500 pounds and your feet are falling off from diabetes, you're praised, which isn't healthy. I'm not saying you're a bad person for being overweight. It's just not healthy. But then there's people that are 18 pounds and they're five foot two and they have extreme anorexia. I never heard the term body neutrality. Where did you hear that from? Um, I don't, I'm trying to remember where, if, I mean, I have a whole like workbook on intuitive eating that kind of goes into, I think it probably brings up that term. Um, there's a couple other dietitians that I've follow that, that talk about that. Um, dietitian Diana, I think her name is, she's a pretty, pretty big, she's got a huge Instagram following. She posts a lot about kind of, um, intuitive eating and stuff. So yeah. I think also just neutrality in general is, I don't know if you're into like spirituality, but it's kind of just a, a good mindset for health. Cause yes, we, we tend to have those extremes and I don't think any of them are always great. I am. I love the practice of stoicism, which is like all about neutrality. Mm-hmm. What part of mm-hmm. neutrality and spirituality are you attracted to? Um, what part? I guess like is it like Buddhism I mean, I, or I like med- yeah. I'm into like meditation, um, and so just like learning about the spiritual laws. Um, I don't know if you know Deepak Chopra. Everybody He's- who's older than twelve knows who Deepak Chopra is. Okay, 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 good. Yeah, <laughs> he has a lot of good meditations on that I like to follow. Um, and books. So that's yeah. So. Early in the podcast, you mentioned about turning off your sympathetic nervous system. Is that what yes. drew you towards the meditations? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, as I was kind of transitioning out of athletics, like more of like my senior year of college, <laughs> I, like I had always done a little bit of yoga, but I started like doing a lot more yoga and teaching some classes and just like starting to learn about that and 
kind of just doing less, like less hard intensity work, intense workouts and listening more to my body and starting to learn about, yeah, the nervous system. Like I had never really, really learned about it. So I just kind of felt my body calming a little more (laughs) and like having less brain fog and just being able to focus better and those things. So, um, yeah. And I just have, I have friends too, that like, we just, we enjoy talking about neuroscience and the things we learn, like big fan of Huberman, Huberman lab podcast (laughs) and how that, yeah, how that impacts our, our other body systems. So I think one thing that I've learned that's always sticks out to me is like, cortisol will increase blood sugar. So, you know, eating a high sugar diet plus being constantly stressed and doing high stress workouts, like you're spiking your cortisol and your blood sugar, plus you're in a catabolic state. So you're breaking down that muscle probably. And then when you're not resting it, you're not giving yourself enough calories, enough protein. That's just like recipe for disaster, right? So... What else are you doing to reduce this chronic stress? Because that's everybody's problem. Everybody is dying of chronic stress. I totally agree with you. Other than meditation and food, is there other things you're doing? Um, Acupuncture actually has been something I've off and on gone to. So like I said, I'm 25. So not that long ago, I was still a student, not making very much income, (laughs) personal trainer and student. So now I finally have like a full-time income plus my business. So I'm doing you know, a little better, but I I have not been able to invest in functional medicine. It's oftentimes quite expensive. So there was a really experienced acupuncturist in my college town that I went to. And, um, after going, I think I went once a month for like three months, maybe twice a month, trying to remember the exact amount, but, um, I had no period cramps. My cystic acne significantly started improving. And like, I had been eating well prior to that, but like, I just felt like that really did something. And I think it helps your sympathetic nervous system kind of calm down. So I can't explain all of the mechanisms behind acupuncture, but there's also some really good research on its benefits for PCOS, fertility. So, I mean, I think that's something to consider if you're a high stress person, of course, like massages are great too meditation, yoga, all those things. But um, I would say that's kind of the main other thing I've done besides just doing less hit and cardio. Um, but I still do some of that. Um, sleep as well. I try to really prioritize a regular sleep schedule, but I'm still nowhere near perfect on that one. <laughs> what does sleep look like? What time do you go to bed? During the week, I'm typically more of like a 10.30 to bed, 6-ish wake up. Um, I, I recently switched to a new job where I'm just, I have a lot more flexibility, which I really like. So I don't feel quite so rushed in the morning. So sometimes I will sleep in a little longer, get um, get up like 6.37. Um, so I think just like helping people think about like how can they sort of reprioritize their schedule like what can they take out of their schedule or what can they do to make meal prep and workouts more efficient so that they take up less time and can prioritize sleep and stress management like that's something i definitely work on um 
but it is hard when you have a stressful job, when you're a lawyer. I'm not going to tell you to quit being a lawyer, <laughs> but it's just like, what other tools can we add in? How can you better manage your stress and your emotions? Um, relationships are huge. Spirituality also huge. I mean, I am not a therapist, but I still very much so talk to people about those things. Um, one of my like mentors always kind of says, get somebody a good, healthy relationship and watch them heal all of their health issues. <laughs> and I think that's somewhat true. Like nutrition and exercise can only do so much. Well, there is research that shows like, a good marriage, you'll live like 10 years longer and a bad marriage, you'll like want to die like 10 years <laughs> earlier. Yeah. So, so how does spirituality play in your life? Is it, are you talking about religion? Are you talking about God? Or what do you mean by spirituality? Um, I mean, I think there's a difference between religion and spirituality. Um, What's the difference? I mean, I just think like living a certain way where you're very present and trusting, you know, trusting in a higher power, but also just regularly like thinking about that. I just think some religious people, no judgment, but it's more of like a once a week thing. They don't necessarily like think about it every day. Um, so I think there can be some disconnect between like religion and holistic health where I think spirituality can kind of join those two things. Um, would you agree? I would. I'm always curious and I'm not judging you at all. Um, a lot of my guests talk about God, although it's a health podcast and business. Mm -hmm. um, so by spirituality and higher power, do you, like, is there a God that you pray to? So I am Christian and I always will remain that, but I just consider myself to be spiritual also, which again, I think most people have that who are Christian, but there are definitely some who maybe don't. And so I think like anything you're working on, anything you're doing can be spiritual is my belief. Like I think food can be spiritual. Your job can be. So that's just kind of where like I, with clients, I don't necessarily always talk about religion, but I think, you know, the, the essence of spirituality is very important for our health and our mental health. So, so it sounds like, does that make sense? Yeah, so let's dive into this a little bit. So it sounds like spirituality, is it more mindfulness? Is that how you're describing it? Cause what do you mean by spirituality with food? Like just thinking about the intention behind and the energy behind what you're doing. Like I've just never heard health really be brought up in most like churches that I've been in. You know, like the sermons don't typically talk about like taking care of our body and what we're eating, you know, and I still love the, all of the, you know, topics that <laughs> some churches cover, but I just think there's sometimes is a disconnect between like, our actual health practices and how do we connect that to spirituality in a holistic way? I agree with you there. So I would say, so I'm Christian as well, but I would say that Buddhism and Hinduism do a much better job preaching yeah, physical health. I Although I don't that. agree. I mean, they're all vegans and vegetarians, but they actually yeah. preach to their people how to eat and I've never been to church where they were like, keep your carbs low, watch your insulin, pray to the Lord. So I, I agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's just interesting. Definitely still something I'm exploring too. And like, I love to hear others perspectives on 
on all of that. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess just to me, like my time where I'm out in nature or where I'm working out or where I'm meditating, like it just feels spiritual to me. Like that's when I hear from God. But yeah, so I just encourage people to consider that. I don't, you know, I if they want to call it the universe, God, whatever, I'm just, I know that there's a study that always sticks in my head of like people healed better from cancer who said they were spiritual than people who said they were religious. And I'd have to find this study again, but I just think that like there is sometimes a difference between people who are hardcore religious and who are spiritual, like they just approach things differently. And I think you can have both for sure. So that's what I'm just interested in exploring in the past few years. And I agree with you. Um, if you make spirituality or religious a once a week thing, like if you beat your children six days a week and then on Sunday you give them a kiss, like you're not a, you're not a godly person. It sounds like yeah. you're talking about you walk with the Lord. This is not a religious podcast, by the way, but you walk with the Lord or your spiritual all of the time. You're in nature, you're eating with intention. And that's totally different. Than, would you say? <laughs> I aimed. You aimed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's important though, because like you said, if you eat low carb, do hit workouts, and you're still missing good relationships and missing the other components and missing purpose, exactly. it doesn't matter. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, for sure. That is, yeah. How receptive are your clients to that? Um, so I would say that that's, you know, it's definitely something I talk more like the longer I've known a client. Um, and I, I have gotten some who they've started meditating when we've worked together and um, things like that. But some people, we don't always get to it and that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm still kind of learning like how can I integrate that a little more into my coaching? Like um, I'm starting to do more like group messages with clients um, and that's been really fun and I think great for people to be able to kind of feed off of each other, feel it's hard when like you don't know the person, like it's you know people from different states or whatever. But I think that that's a really powerful tool of just like helping people stay accountable and feel more connected because making these changes is, is hard. And a lot of people like their stress does come from loneliness or broken relationships, you know? So I would love my programs to kind of help build that energy and um, bring in some more of like, um, some more of the spiritual mindset stuff. So still kind of learn how to do that. What if you, and I'm not in any position to give you advice, I'm an idiot, but what if like, let's say your program's 5,000 bucks and you said, if you meditate, the program's 5,000, but if you don't meditate, the program's $5,500. Like you incentivize them to meditate 30 minutes every day because it would make your job easier. I love that. Um, I think it's just hard because I never want to like tell people to do things that I'm not already doing. And meditation, I will not lie, has been a hard habit for me to consistently do. I am a very like go, go, go person. And so it is hard. Like I wouldn't, I don't meditate 30 minutes every day. So it's like, I love to share about it and I have had some really great experiences with meditating, but I think, yeah, that's where I'd be like, I don't do that yet, <laughs> but I like your thought there. I do. Well, it's very mature of you. So I started meditating regularly, maybe four months ago, anywhere from okay. 30 minutes to 60 minutes a day. And 
That's awesome. My sympathetic nervous system has turned down a lot. So honestly, I think if you could get it done for 30, 60 days, well, you'd feel more comfortable telling yeah. your clients. What do you, what else do you feel like, how else would you describe that? Like, like your sleep's better or is there any other like noticeable changes that like you relate to the meditation? Sleep's better. Dreams are more vivid, but the, That's one thing I hear. the biggest thing is I'm sure when you work with clients, you ever have someone say something to you and then you're having an off day and you make a comment back. You wish you would have not said it's like you're reacting in a way you wouldn't want to. When you're meditating, yeah. it gives you like a three second buffer. So you can actually control your behavior better than when you're not meditating before work. Mm -hmm. So you feel like it, yeah, like maybe for, for people who have like cravings, those types of things where they're, um, which definitely like when we're more high stress, poor sleep have, leads to higher cortisol levels, which leads to just more reactive eating acting, speaking, all those things. So yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. That's awesome. So there's something called executive function and decision fatigue syndrome. And meditation mm -hmm. does improve your ability to make better decisions and improves your ability to make more decisions that are better for you throughout the day. Because you know, by the end of the day, you get home from work, you're tired of shit, and you eat two bags of Doritos because you had no willpower left. If you meditate, maybe you only eat one bag of Doritos. Well, and one thing I always say about willpower is it's like sometimes it's not our, our willpower of like we can't because we make a food choice. Like we always think it's our willpower isn't good enough. Sometimes it's also literally that our body is in survival mode. So there's different mechanisms that are upregulated that are just making us you know more likely to get those quick calories, those quick carbs. So I think... I always try to explain that to people and be like, it's not just your willpower. If you if you eat better early in the day, probably also get sleep, meditate, <laughs> then yes, it's not just the willpower. Like your brain, your body is just gonna feel safe and you're not gonna even have that ur urge. <laughs> so yeah. That's a good yes. way to put it. I never think because if I like try to do like a one meal a day plan. By 6 p.m., I'm like so ravenous, I blow the whole calorie budget at dinner. And that's what a lot of people do, like by either skipping breakfast or doing like a little, you know, a coffee with a muffin. Like that's just, you're not getting the nutrients early in the day. Um, and there's a chemical in your brain that's going to tell you you need quick carbs. So. I, yeah. I find that the more protein I eat before lunch, I eat so much healthier throughout the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Me too. <laughs> so that's why I start with that with people. Yeah. It's like full circle. So we're coming up on the, the 45 minute mark. This has been really good. It was a, a really fun conversation. What is <laughs> one piece of advice you'd want the audience to take away from this interview? Mm. One piece of advice. Hmm. Good question. I guess I would say um, just being intentional about nutrition doesn't have to be so confusing and complicated. Like we've kind of talked about, there's so many, so many factors that play into what we eat, but choosing high protein, 
understanding calories and carbs in a very basic way can be tools that will serve you for a long, long time. Um, and also just not stressing so much just nutrition, but also taking a holistic approach to your health. It's kind of my, my vibe. Yeah, it's a good vibe. It's so funny. Your generation always says like, it's a good vibe. I'm like, a little bit too old to say that. So tell people where they can find you, your Instagram, how they can sign up for your coaching and how they can get a hold of you. Yes. So my Instagram at Kelly K Hansen. I don't know if you link stuff somewhere. Yep. In the YouTube um, I will. Yeah. Um, and then I do have a website, I have a blog. You can sign up for emails. I've got tons of free little resources on there. You can grab, um, I have a Facebook group for just accountability, other fun videos I like to share. Um, and yeah, I've, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and then I also am starting a group program, which will just kind of be for hyping each other up, staying accountable. I know summer is super crazy, so I'm like wanting to get back to consistent workouts, consistent meal prep. So that's kind of, if you're looking for that, that's more so the group program. But one-on-one -on -one is where we do more blood work, dive into all the things. Good. And if you want to work with Kelly one-on-one, -on -one, you have to meditate or it's an extra thousand dollars per <laughs> session, right? That's right. That's good. <laughs> We might have to add that good, in. Good. I want 2% of everything. You know, I'm joking. I like that idea. Oh. <laughs> we need to chat about more of my offers. Okay. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for your time and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. It was fun. All right. Have a good day. <laughs>